Hey, family, good to see you. For those of you who don't know me, um, Corey Bendix, one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to John chapter 1. Um, we are continuing a series on worship. We're trying to bring together a, a, a culture and a lifestyle where we are celebrating and encountering and experiencing Jesus Christ through the experience of worship and unpacking what does that look like in our discipleship journey. And so what I want to do tonight is, um, is just unpack this idea that we see in the book of John of true worshipers. We've heard that said. It seems a little Christianese, if I'm honest. The question is, what does that mean? How do we become that? And how do we experience it? What does it look like for Jesus to form us as true worshipers? I want to title this The Wheelbarrow of Worship. The Wheelbarrow of Worship. If you would stand with me as we read John chapter 1, verses 35 to 38. I'm a sucker for weird titles and I got a good one. Wheelbarrow of Worship. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. Two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and you will see. Lord, bless the reading of the word. You may be seated. The year is uh, 1859. It's June 29th. It's in Niagara Falls. There's a crowd of 25,000 people that have gathered to watch the great Charles Blondin do the impossible. It's 1,100 feet up in the air. He's got a 1,300 foot rope that has a two-inch diameter. It literally connects the U.S. to Canada, and this man decides that he wants to walk across this rope. The the whole crowd gathers probably to watch this guy but here they are and the great Charles Blondin he does it walks across 1300 feet takes him 25 minutes he turns around and he cries out do you want me to do it again and they said "Uh, yeah and he does it again he gathers himself for a minute and he asks Um, would you like me to do it again? And they said, yes. So he takes a stove out. And he literally takes a stove out into the middle of this space and he cooks himself breakfast, eggs and bacon. He comes back and he asks for a wheelbarrow. And he puts concrete in the wheelbarrow and he goes out and back. Then he he pauses and looks to the crowd and says, do you think I can take 200 pounds of concrete across? And they said, 
you're the best. You're a God. Of course you can. And he says, Is there an, are there any men who weigh 200 pounds? And one man raises his hand and says, I'm 200 pounds. And he says, would you like to enter into this wheelbarrow and go across to the Niagara, across the Niagara to Canada and back? Do you want to do this? And the man looks at him and with confidence says, heck no. <laughs> I, I, I wonder, in the midst of Charles Blondin, having done the impossible, seeking someone to join him in the impossible. This is the context of John chapter 1. John the Baptist has looked at Jesus and said, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the earth. Literally, Jesus stuck or in the middle of two worlds. He's the Lamb, he's, he's God's, representative he's fully god at the same time he is fully human and he is he is according to john the baptist one man whose calling is to do the impossible and this is where john describes jesus in jesus's first words are powerful words, words that we will find are a repetition in the entirety of john's gospel he says what do you seek what do you seek? What do you, according to this word, zateo, it's what do you long for? What do you desire? Where, where do, what do you want more than anything? And their response to Jesus is, well, where are you staying? Greek word that we get, abide. Another word repeated throughout the entirety of John's gospel. Seeking. Staying. And Jesus' response is, come, and you will see. Almost as if Jesus, like our man Charles Blondin, with a wheelbarrow, about to do the impossible with his life, and he is inviting people to enter into the wheelbarrow, to do the impossible, enter into a space of worship. Love this, this moment because it, these first words are, are words that, that I, I want to just try to pull the string and consider if Jesus is trying to create an environment or a picture that what if what we long for and where Jesus stays, what if we could live there? Like what, what, what if life could actually be a consistent flow of our great passions colliding with, with the, the place where Jesus stays and is and always will be, and now we, we remain there. We, we now see that, and, and now we are, are, are captured and pulled into that world. Like what, what if that was life for you and I? And what I love about what John does is John, he, he takes this idea of seeking and he begins to like sprinkle it throughout the entirety of, of his gospel. So 
at least for me, as I look at a word that's repeated, I ask myself, okay, where else is that showing up? And in the midst of a lot of seeking going on in John's gospel, we do find that the Father is seeking. John chapter 4, this is what it says. Again, the Father, he's seeking something. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That, that God the Father, this, this idea of, of um, like to, to, to seek after something is what one has possessed and lost. It's almost like the father is going, I, I remember a day when, when humanity worshipped me in spirit and in truth. And I'm, I'm seeking worshipers. I'm seeking people who, who will worship me like that. I'm seeking, I'm seeking. The question is, the father is seeking, but is he finding anything? He's a seeking daddy, but is he finding what he's looking for? Well, what John does is he continues to help us get a picture of, of, of what humanity seeks. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, this is what it says. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. They wanted God's stuff. They weren't sure if they wanted God. So what John is doing is he's helping us have this picture of humanity, humanity as in all of us, that loves and longs for what God gives, but isn't completely sold on God himself. That, that John, John, this is not an accusation towards, towards you or, or me. This is just, this is a diagnosis. This is the human heart. We love God's stuff. And we so reject the journey and the messiness of actually following him. And I, I love this moment with John 6 because, like, this is the disciples. Like, these are people who had just gotten fed a serious buffet lunch and dinner out of a Lunchable. So, so you've got a couple of crackers. You've got a couple of pieces of, of, of fish. And it becomes something so extravagant. I mean, G Jesus becomes like a baker in a moment. Focaccia bread, sourdough. I mean, like he's just, he's, he's serving it up. He's serving it up. It's, now, it's a miracle that is a sign to himself. It is, a, it is a signpost that is pointing you somewhere. It's not the destination. It is guiding you to something bigger. And, and what, what we find is that in this moment, it's a fascinating, it's just an unpacking of the fact that it looks like they've returned to worship Jesus, but Jesus sniffs out and exposes the fact that there is a parasite inside of them. Christ-centered worship is, is eaten away by stuff-centered worship. This is, what's, this is what's going down in the human heart, that Jews are seeking, but they're seeking the bread. What about the Pharisees? The Pharisees are seeking too. This is verse chapter 7, right after the meal. This is right, right after the feeding of the 5,000. 
After this, Jesus went about in Galilee and he would not go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him. The authority of Jesus went beyond what the leaders were comfortable with and the only option was to eradicate him altogether. When Jesus's authority goes beyond what we're comfortable with, we try to eradicate him completely. This is, this is what our, our society is doing right now when it comes to biblical truth. It is a reverse exorcism. Wherever it sees God, it says, come out in society's name. Come out. It, everywhere it goes. That, that was a quote by John Tyson. That wasn't me, by the way. <laughs> I, and I, 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 I love this. This is a, a, an unpacking of where we, the human heart is either wanting God's stuff or wanting God's authority, but refusing God himself. That, that, that John is helping us see that the human heart is seeking, but we do not seek. We don't seek him. We seek the, the glory of man, not the glory of God. We seek to, to be wanted. We seek to find reputation. We seek for power and prestige. And all, all of this is like John is helping paint this picture of, of you and I. And then he begins to point us. He begins to point us to what Jesus is seeking. See, Jesus does some seeking himself. This is what it says, John 5. I can do, I love this. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I mean, like, just think about this. The unbroken bond of communion and connection between the Father and the Son, it led to Jesus where this is, this is what he says throughout John's gospel. I can do nothing on my own authority. I have come in my Father's name, not my own. Words, I, what I speak is not my own. It comes from the Father. This is not, it's his life. It's not mine. And so I lay it down. I mean, you look at what Jesus willingly offers. He offers the power of decision. He offers up his will. He's seeking. This, I wonder what John is. John trying to help us see that the Father is looking for true worshipers and there are none. But Jesus became a true worshiper for us. I wonder, is this what John is trying to help us see? That, that one man enters into humanity, into a a cesspool of power and control, and he gives up his own. It goes on, John 7, check this out. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who, who sent him, he is true. And in him there is no falsehood. So you've got the power of will and the power of glory. Man, you're talking about intoxicating. That is a concoction. That is a, man, that is a two-sided coin of hell itself. And here with Jesus, he is facing 
the power of will and the power of glory and he's willingly giving it up to the one who he longs for and the one in, who, in whom he serves. That he refused to glorify himself. He, he lived, he had a, a purposeful and, and specific and focused goal for his life, which was the glory of the, of the Father. And not only the glory of the Father, but literally giving that glory to us so that we could be unified according to John chapter 17. This is what the, the Son, this is what, what the Son is seeking. He's seeking the will of the one who sent him. He's seeking the glory of the Father. But now he, his seeking goes a whole new level. The seeking Savior now is willing to enter into John chapter 18. This is what it says. How far will Jesus' seeking go? Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to him, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he, he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of, Naz of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let them go. His seeking went to the very end of his own life being taken. It took one man who gave up all power, all control, gave up the, the desire for glory, gave it up to the Father, and now willingly gives his life for the protection of others for one purpose. For, for one purpose, to be the seeking true worshiper. This, this now leads us to the crescendo of John's gospel. That the true worshiper in Jesus makes true worshipers. It all leads to John chapter 20. And just take, take a deep breath. This is not like two sermons jammed into one, but just roll with me on what I'm about to read. This is John chapter 20. Mary, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb. And, and she, 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 she's there, and the tomb is empty. She sees two angels. She's overwhelmed. She's crying. And then this is what happens in verse 14. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned and said, it, said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go tell my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God, your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. 
Hope you're catching John 1.38. All of the words that we just spoke, repeated here. And that he said these things to her. See, John, John begins his, his gospel in Genesis when he says, in the beginning. Now, I wonder, you've got the second Adam as a gardener speaking to a woman who's been blinded. I, I wonder if what John is trying to do is help us see that this Jesus has now become anointed by God as the true worshiper. And, and that power and that authority now enables him to go back to where it all began. A woman eating a piece of fruit and her eyes were open and she saw. And yet here we find ourselves, the second Adam, as a gardener, pursuing a blinded woman and it's in this space, the true worshiper now says her name. He, he says her name and, and it's, the power of the true worshiper that now is helping us see that and in him, he gives experiences of worship that make us true worshipers. And a part of this worship encounter is Jesus saying your name. And the power of that moment unlocks your blindness and allows for you to see in ways you haven't. I wonder in this moment of Jesus saying her name, it was as if her past, a woman who had been demon-possessed, there is like a type of restoration and renewal and confidence and power that literally baptizes her simply in a moment where the true worshiper causes her to worship by hearing the truth of her name. When was the last time you heard Jesus say your name? Speak your name with a type of clarity, with a type of authority, with a type of tenderness. A type of tenderness. That, I mean, I, I've been in spaces where I've been crowded and my wife says my name. Something about that moment that you both breathe and you get excited and you, you anticipate something because the voice of one you love is seeing you and calling you. When's the last time that you had an encounter with the true worshiper? He invited you into the wheelbarrow of hearing your name. He says her name. But then her response to hearing that, she says, Rabboni. A lot of, of the historians that I, that I read say that this is really similar to Thomas's experience with Jesus, where his response was, my Lord and my God. You see, to have an encounter with the true worshiper is to have your heart and your courage to follow him reinvigorated. You're reinitiated into a longing and a desire and his commitment for you that pulls you into commitment back to him. That you, when you get into spaces of worship to hear your name spoken 
now leads you to a response of teacher, rabbi, my Lord and my God. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of open-headedness. It's, it's a place where, where his courage becomes yours to say, I'm all the way in. Rabbanai. And then it goes on, and then he says, go tell your brothers that my father has become yours. You see, in John's gospel, John literally, he refers to the father, like with Jesus, the father being his father 120 times. This is the first time in all of John's gospel where now Jesus' father is now ours. That the true worshiper, when you encounter him, he re, reunites, he reunites you into family, into having a father that will never leave. Having a father that is not just fully committed to you, but now points you back to relationship of now participating in restoring other people within the family. You see how, how in this moment he says, go tell my brothers. He's, the first thing that he tells Mary to do when reminding her of she's in the family, I need you to go to those that have left me behind. Those that are running away. Those that are stuck in shame and you are in the family and one of your jobs is to restore them. That when, when we enter into a place of encountering the true worshiper, that it now causes us to have a fresh passion for the family. Knowing that we're in it and that we're fighting for those who are in it as well. And then, and then he, he finishes it up and he says, uh, all, this whole experience, it says, her, her response, I have seen the Lord. That, the Greek word is the same Greek word that was used in John chapter 1, verse 38. Come and you will see. Now what's interesting about this moment with Mary is that from John chapter 1, I'm sorry, John 20, verses 1 to 18, there's three experiences that Mary has with the, with the word see or saw. In verse 1, she sees, but it's with their physical eyes. It's to glance. It's, it's to see, but it's to glance, but then to move on because it hasn't really caught your attention. Verse 12 is this idea of theory, ethereal, theater. It's to wrestle with something, but to see from a distance. But see, when Jesus, the true worshiper, encounters her, it says, I have seen the Lord, which means she experienced him. Like, so, so what you have is you have Jesus, you have the true worshiper who is committed to helping you navigate the journey of your sight. For some of us, we're seeing Jesus from a, a distance. We're glancing. We're glancing and moving on. But see, the true worshiper now is committed to capturing your attention, capturing your focus, sometimes through chaos and trials. He's, he's, he's after one thing. He's trying to move you from glancing to wrestling to experiencing. Like this is what it means for the true worshiper 
to make us true worshipers. Now, I, I, I love this, this whole moment because it's Jesus and someone who loved him. But the question is, what happens if you don't love him and you're stuck in doubt? Well, let's move on to the next story, which is doubting Thomas. What does Jesus do? The true worshiper pursues Thomas in his locked door. He's locked up, completely locked up. The true worshiper captures and captivates a man locked up in doubt to make him a true worshiper. Well, what about like if you're running away? That's Peter. That's John chapter 21. You have Jesus, the true worshiper, who is pursuing real individuals who are running and yet in Jesus, the true worshiper, because he's a seeking savior, because he has now forfeited the, the, the desire and the longing for his own will and his own glory, he's dismissed that, he's surrendered himself to the Father, and as a result of the authority and the power this one man has, he is on a mission to seek you and I, doubt and are running to make us who he is, a true worshiper. You might be asking, how does this work? Well, I, I recent, about an hour ago, I got off the phone with um, Tom Mansman and his son James. And I got the permission to share the story of James Mansman. Um, I'm gonna, he's, 14, he's 15, and he has had an enlarged spleen. His entire life. Result of that is he, he can't gain weight and he's in constant pain. And he has been fighting for a really long time. Um, his parents have taken him to multiple doctors, just got back from Texas, trying to find someone who can tell their family what's wrong with their son to just help him gain weight and not be in pain. And in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the chaos, and in the midst of all of the questions and all of the confusion, James Mansman has been a Mary Magdalene that God himself has pursued this young man in the midst of hell, in the midst of absolute hell, and has has. Again, in hearing what James was saying, it's like God has been speaking to me and giving me the courage that I need to face every day. That, that this, this God has, has broken through all of my pain and has revealed himself to me. That this, this God has not left me alone. He's, he's added me into family. That he's helping me follow him. He's helping me see right. I'm like, James, man, you're my message, man. Can I share your story? This is a young man who is a walking testimonial of what it looks like for the true worshiper to make true worshipers. And you, you might be like James, where you are stuck in something that you have been trying to maneuver. And it is just closing in on you, sucking the life out of you, and literally removing your ability to see. And yes, we've heard from, from Mary Magdalene, and we've heard from James, but I think you need to hear from Jesus. 
I think Jesus wants to say your name tonight. I think he wants, more importantly than tonight, he wants to say your name tomorrow. He wants to say your name on Sunday. He wants to say your name next week. You, you, you are locked in to a date with the king where he wants to now baptize you with his presence, his person, his family, to enable you to, to be a true worshiper. For, for some of us, we're not stuck in pain. We're stuck in the power of our own will and our own glory. That's where it gets sticky. That's what we want. We want the, the glory of man, if we're really honest, is more important than anything else. I just sense that the Spirit of God wants to give you a vision of himself as the true worshiper and what might that look like for you to allow the, the empty wheelbarrow of his presence to just roll up. He's inviting you in. to Take the longing for will, the longing for decision, the longing for glory, and go, you know what, I'm trading this in because I want the true worshiper to make me a true worshiper. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm, I'm asking tonight that you would refresh us tenderly refresh us in your commitment as the true worshiper to give us a life of true worship. That every time we encounter you, oh God, will you enable us to hear your name, hear our name through your lips. If you're, if you're here and you just are asking, Lord Jesus, will you speak my name? It's been a season of silence haven't heard from you in a long time. It feels like you're, you're, not, you're not there as much as you, as you have been. And I'm, I'm desperate for you to break through the silence. You speak my name tonight. If, that, if that's you, can, can you just, raise, just raise, raise your hand real quick? Good. Lord, speak. Speak. You are the good shepherd. You're the good shepherd. We, that, that we are your sheep and we hear your voice. God, you, you were the shepherd at the same time you were the lamb. The lamb that was sacrificed to enable us to have endless relationship with the Father through the Son. Speak our name. Lord, for, for those of us who are here who just feel like we are, we feel divorced from the family. Like we're, we're questioning the love of the Father. For some of us, we just, we need our ability or our longing to follow as with Jesus as a rabbi, as, as a leader, as Lord, as King. Lord, will you initiate our heart into love and courage? Unify us. Give us union with Jesus that enables us to be able to follow you wholeheartedly in the same way you followed your Father. Oh, Jesus, I, I thank you for opening up our eyes, allowing us to see. See yourself, see you, and in that sight comes experiencing of the King. So we honor you, we love you, thank you for all that you're doing tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.